Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today is Carly Flumer. Carly was diagnosed with stage 1 papillary thyroid cancer at the age of 27 while earning her master's degree. While being diagnosed with cancer at a young age was terrifying, she found strength and support in sharing her cancer journey on social media through both the written word and visual imagery. As a result of her diagnosis, she looks to advocate for other cancer patients, especially adolescents and young adults, through education, research and health literacy. We present Carly Flumer. You're very, very welcome to the show, Carly. We're delighted to have you speaking to us today. And I wanted to start by asking you, what is your superpower? Oh, my superpower would have to be uh, an AYA advocate for uh, cancer patients. I was diagnosed when I was in my late 20s, and it's a scary, it's a scary time, especially in that age range. And what I found is that the majority of research really focuses on children or adults. And so that adolescent and young adult age, which is usually defined from ages 18 to 39, there's really a lack of, of understanding. And that's what I hope to bring as an advocate. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Before you became a cancer survivor, what some people don't like the term cancer survivor. Are you happy with that term? No, I'm very happy with that term. And I think survivor is defined differently by different people. I recently heard in a webinar that you're defined as a survivor the moment you are diagnosed, which is very true. But then some people will say, well, I'm not a survivor until I've reached the no evidence of disease status. And so... I think, I think it can change from time to time, depending on how you feel. But no, I definitely consider myself a survivor. All right, that's fantastic. So if we start from there, tell us your story before all of this unfolded. Who were you? What were you doing? What were your aspirations? I have worked in healthcare before. I got my undergraduate degree I'm in health administration and policy, and I started working at a hospital in primary care as an administrative assistant. And then I decided to get my master's degree in health communication because I really, not only do I enjoy helping people, but I really enjoy writing and the different aspects of communication and how that works with patients. And so while I was working and getting my master's degree at the same time as when I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And so this was back in January of 2017. And so when you're diagnosed, you're thinking, do I stop school? Do I stop work? How does this work? How does this work as as a young patient. Mm. And I was very lucky. I did not have any symptoms. My cancer was found by mistake by uh, my primary care physician, which is why I advocate for people to see their primary care, especially for yearly physicals, because that's how mine was found, an ultrasound. And so I was not expecting the C word, as anybody is not. But I was very aloof at the time because not only did I have any symptoms, but when I was speaking with the radiologist who diagnosed me, he said, 
there's only a 10 to 15% chance that it's cancer. And that wasn't even on my mind at the time. And I said, okay, then I don't have anything to worry about. But then the pathology results came back within a few minutes. And they said, unfortunately, it did come back as cancer. And this is what you have to do going forward. It's recommended that you see a surgeon. And so I said, okay. And so I told my family, I told them what was going on. But I was like, I feel... I feel normal. And so I decided to continue school and I decided to continue work Mm -hmm. while I was going through treatment. And because I worked at a hospital, I was able to ask the doctors I worked with, who is the best surgeon that you know that can help me? And when I told them what, what cancer I had, they said, oh, thyroid cancer, that's the good type of cancer. If you were to have any type of cancer, thyroid would be the one to have. And so, and so I kind of, I didn't take that with a grain of salt as I should have. I said, oh, well, then I must be okay. And so I was able to get a treatment with an amazing physician. I was given the option, which I don't think most patients have. They're given, you know, they're given a a one-and-done treatment plan. But I was given the option to have either the half of the thyroid, uh, the lobe where my tumor was, or to remove the whole thing. I was given an explanation of the benefits and the downfalls, which is fantastic. And so I was able to make an informed decision. And so I opted to have only the side where my tumor was in order to maintain the preservation of the quality of life and to not have to take a drug called Synthroid to maintain my livelihood. And so I had that done. And then two days later, my doctor had called me, my surgeon, and he said, well, we did pathology on your lymph nodes, and unfortunately, your cancer has spread, and we didn't know that at the time. And so I said, well, I just left the hospital two days ago. Do you need me to come back right now? And so he said, no, we're going to wait for you to heal, and then we'll, we'll take out the other side, and then we're going to give you some oral radiation to remove the rest of your cancer, and then you'll be good to go. And so that is what has happened to me over the course of the year. During this entire time, I was also working. As I mentioned, I was also in school studying health communication. And so as I was going through, as I was going through all of this, I was really able to apply what I was learning in my program and my degree program to what I was experiencing as a cancer patient. And it was only until survivorship that I really dug into what it means to be a patient advocate because I think when you're diagnosed it's a it's a fear factor and it's only until you know I think a few years later that you really start to discover what you can do and who you are as a patient and the power that you have and so I graduated with my program last last May And I I cried at my graduation because I knew that I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't go into my program knowing what I wanted, but I came out knowing exactly what I wanted because I was able to learn the methods of communication of of how you communicate with patients and what the best practices are, what the best, the best methods are. And I said, I want to do this. This is, 
the, the cancer, despite it being the most terrible thing, it has given me a purpose and it has, uh, it's been a silver lining in my life because I'm able to do what I love. I discovered what I love and that is helping other cancer patients through a couple of different aspects. And that would be patient provider education and communication, health literacy, which I'm a huge proponent of. And just making sure that cancer patients, they are not alone on their journey. So in the course of all of this, you would have come across patients who have had a quite a different experience. Oh, absolutely. And that's where we could go with this conversation next in terms of what do you think, in terms of the three top things that people say could have been done differently, what are those top three things? The first thing I would say, there needs to be more research for rare cancers and rare diseases, especially. I work with clinical trials daily as part of my job, and a lot of them are really targeted towards the bigger cancers like breast and lung and colorectal. And while that is great, there are very few trials that are going on for rare cancers. And we all know that treatment for these cancers doesn't happen unless they go through a clinical trial. And so I think having more clinical trials for that, having more research will help these cancers become less rare, so to speak. Why do you think that there isn't that much research happening on the rare cancers? I feel like not a lot of doctors take the time to study them. Um, I think there are a lot of doctors who choose to study the cancers that have the research and they want to add on to it. Whereas with the rarer cancers, you're kind of starting fresh and you're not sure which direction to go to. And so at least that's my opinion. Um, and so you're kind of in the woods as if you're a cancer patient. It's very hard to, to, to find where to start. And I also discovered that when I was researching my cancer and researching support groups is that there's not really too many support groups for thyroid cancer and research has been happening. But the other thing with thyroid cancer is that there's a 95% survivor rate. And so with that, I feel like it's just kind of pushed to the side and, you know, it's just like, oh, well, they're going to survive anyway. Why, is, why does there need to be research done? But that's absolutely not true because as with every cancer, there's different types that are worse than others. And so the research needs to happen. So the first thing, I guess, is for the healthcare community, in particular, the research mm-hmm. community, to think about maybe focusing more on those cancers because at the end of the day, as you say, these are not, they're all lumped together, but they're quite different when mm-hmm. you drill down and see the different types of cancer. So that's one thing. What would be the second thing that you would advocate for, for the experience of these people to be improved? Clear language, absolutely clear language. When I see my endocrinologist, which is the doctor, who I see every three to six months for follow-ups, when I see her, she uses language that doesn't really make sense to me. As much as I've heard her use those terms, I often find myself Googling, what did she say? 
And I feel like that's a, I feel like that's an issue all around, not even with cancer patients, but with every patient, because this medical jargon is being thrown around. Um, and patients, they have sometimes that they have that white coat syndrome. They're thinking, oh, the doctor's right. I have to follow what they want, and I'm not taking the time to think about what my needs are. And therefore, what they're saying is, I'm not going to question it. It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. This is what needs to happen in order for my life to continue. So clear language, speaking in, in layman's terms, absolutely. I'm a huge proponent of health literacy. It helps patients understand how they can help themselves, and that creates better patient outcomes. Clear language, you're right, and not using jargon, for sure. One of the reasons that patients accept that is because you say that they feel they've got to accept it and just got to listen to what the person's saying and take whatever's given that's tangible. You know, here's some pills, you need to take these pills, or here's a, a surgery that you need to have, and you just accept that, but you've not really understood what that is because the language used did not make it clear why you need to have it or what the the benefits would be what the other benefits are or worse again what the side effects are are that you need to be aware of that might make you feel differently about that is that a fair summary oh absolutely and i would also say that it's also it's also again it's a fear factor of maybe not wanting to do the research. When I was diagnosed, I was very scared to do any type of research. My mother, who's my caregiver, did the majority of the research for me, and she helped me advocate for myself. And so when you're afraid to do that research with the health conditions that you've been uh, diagnosed with, it's hard to... It's hard to think about what you're going through, and Mm. when you don't know the research, you don't know the language that's being used. And so I think advocating for patients to really just take care of themselves a little bit better or and or to have their caregiver come along with them to their appointments, record their appointments, and, you know, things like that. So that's the third thing in your list. You are talking mm-hmm. about having an advocate with you, whether that's a caregiver, recording the consultation so you understand or you're able to play back and Google the words that you don't, haven't understood if, if words are used that are not particularly familiar to you in that context. Of those three things, the one area that particularly is a relatively easy fix is people using language in that interaction, which means something to both people. So the doctor saying things and the patient hearing exactly what was meant by what was said. Do you think that there is time in the system, in in, in your consultations, was there time for people to make sure that you understood what was going on? Or do you think part of it is that there isn't enough time in the consultation for you to be given a chance to understand everything that's being said? Um, It really all depends on the specialty, I think. I feel like with primary care, you're very in and out. And with specialty care, I feel like you are given a little bit more time um, with your physician. But even if you are given more time, I feel like there's not, I still feel like there's not enough time 
with your doctor to ask everything that you want. And so that's why I'm a proponent of ask, uh, writing down questions before you see your doctor and have a list ready so that you can, when you go to see them, you can say, these are the things that I would like to address at today's appointment. How could we go about doing this in a time-efficient manner? Did you try that when, in your case, did you try it? I have. I make a list of things that I would like to talk about, and it just makes the appointment flow more easily mm. instead of trying to remember what exactly you came in for. And when you, when you leave, you don't think, oh, I really meant to ask that question, and now I don't have the chance. And how was it received, do you think, by the doctors? Were they quite open to you? Raise it, bring it, taking out a piece of paper and say, I've got these questions. Or do you think that they felt they were looking at their watches saying, how long is this going to take? No, I don't think they would think that. I think doctors, doctors are doctors for a reason that they're here to, to help. And so I think if patients are willing to come up with questions, I think on the doctor side, it shows that the patients are interested in their own health. They want to become educated, which which can really help the physician. That's fantastic. And And I agree with you. I think there are many doctors who feel exactly that way and would want to make sure that your your concerns were addressed. Because at the end of the day, it's really about making sure you're comfortable because you're the one who's got the problem. You're the one that's having to walk out the door and live with the problem beyond the consultation. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also add that it's important for doctors to understand the values and the culture of each patient because one patient might have a different outlook on their health than another. And so understanding what a patient is looking for, whether it be uh, financially stable or quality of life or what have you, it's important to understand that. And then the culture, there are different socioeconomic statuses cultures, religions that can play into healthcare. And so understanding that and what the patient's needs are specifically can really help the physician tailor the treatment to what the patient wants. It's a two-way relationship. So if we go to your case, uh, first of mm-hmm. all, you look well. I'm, uh, the oh, thank will you. Be, the, the listeners would be very interested to know that you are well, and I, I think you can confirm that. Yes. Yeah. We're thrilled that you are and we're thrilled that you're here to tell us your story so that we can benefit from the experience that you've had. Because at the end of the day, this is a a huge experience that you've had of having been a young person, developing something that was rare, having treatment and then being told afterwards, we need to do more treatment because the thing Mm -hmm. has spread beyond where we thought it was. So where to from here, Carly, where do you see yourself taking this on your journey? I think cancer, uh, you know, some people say that cancer does not define them. I would kind of agree, kind of disagree. I do think that cancer defines me. I think it has defined my life for the better. And I'm really looking to use the skills that I have learned, both in my education and my journey as I go along. On, along this healthcare spectrum to educate other patients, to advocate for them, to tell them to ask questions of their physicians. Don't be afraid to speak up. 
know yourself, know your values, know what you want as a patient and ask for it. Do not be afraid to stand up, say, this is what I am here for. This is what I'm asking of you. How can you help me get the best treatment possible so that I can live the best life that I can? And how are you now involved in the advocacy? What kind of organizations are you involved in? Where can people find you? That kind of thing. Yes. So um, I work with an organization called Patient Empowerment Network. I am the thyroid cancer network manager there, and I write for them. And uh, I'm a huge. Um, I'm a huge writer. That's how the majority of my work got started in advocacy. And I invite other thyroid cancer patients to contact me. My email is carly at powerfulpatients.org. I've also worked with Inspire and the Mayo Clinic, where I talked about the use of health or the use of health literacy. I worked for a company called Arches, where I talk about the use of getting the right notifications at the right time during your treatment as a ghostwriter. And I also work with a a nonprofit called Bite Me Cancer, which is an organization that's focused on teens with cancer in the hospital. And I deliver meals to children as well as write for them and create support bags that will go to teens who are with cancer in the hospital. And that's just a few of the things. Cancer has just given me so many opportunities that I would never have even imagined. And it's so weird to say, but I'm so very thankful for everything that has come out of this. That is so inspiring to hear you say those words that cancer has been an opportunity rather than seeing cancer as something that effectively ended the life that you thought you were going to have. Have you heard stories like this from other patients and people that you've had contact with? Are there other stories of people who've seen things in the way that you see them now? I think I've seen that from, from uh, I think I've seen patients view cancer as an opportunity to get into advocacy. But I also understand that when you're told to be positive, because I do believe that positivity is half the battle, but it's also very hard to stay positive when you're faced with this diagnosis. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, do I, how do I stay positive when I'm faced with this? But on the other hand, how can I, how can I be resilient and advocate for myself? And so I think it is very hard for patients to be advocates, but I think for those who are slowly starting to come into their own can find, can find benefits because there is support out there for you. Um, you're, not, you're not alone on this journey as much as you may feel. And find a way that makes it work for you, whether it's through art, writing, music, Anything like that can help get the juices flowing. Speaking with somebody on Capitol Hill, advocate for yourself, advocate for your disease, make yourself known, make yourself heard. Your story is very important and you matter as a patient. That goes without saying, you matter as a patient. That goes without saying, and if you're talking to doctors, and that should resonate because in the end, at the end of the day, doctors are doing the job that they do because they saw the need to be involved with 
patients. They saw the need yeah. to serve their patients, and that should be the only reason that we do what we do. Uh, in my in my opinion, and I'm sure many mm-hmm. many opinions of people who are listening to us today. Any last thoughts as we come to the end of this conversation? Any last thoughts about what you feel has helped you to be resilient? You talked there about things like art and music. Is that something that you're involved in? Well, again, I'm involved with a lot of writing. And that's how I got started. I reached out to somebody with Inspire, John Novak. I'm not sure if you've heard of him before, but he has been such a catalyst in helping me with my advocacy work. And I just started reaching out to to blogs and I said, do you need a story? And and I just continue to do that. And that's how I've gotten my opportunities. I've listened to podcasts just like this. And I say I can be on that I can be on that podcast too. I can share my story too. Yeah. (laughs) I think you're right. Writing is certainly something that's very close to our heart at General Health Design because that essentially is who we are. We are a medical journal, peer-reviewed medical journal, and we were very much welcome writing, particularly writing where there's been uh, a reflective piece where somebody has thought about the literature, the research that they've done, what they've found in terms of what others have said and others uh, have experienced and what they can contribute that's new and fresh or what they can contribute that offers an insight into how patients are actually experiencing it or indeed as doctors are delivering the service that they're delivering. We're very interested in small change, big difference. And you've talked about things that really are exactly on point because small change, the biggest thing that I picked up from what you're telling is that the language you use is so important and be very mindful of the words that you're using. And it doesn't take another degree. It doesn't take a course. It doesn't take anything other than being mindful of the words that we use when we're talking to patients and make sure when you say something, you're using some classification or you're using a technical word that you're not saying something to the patient who then looks blankly at you and nods, but you know, when you look in their eyes, that that didn't mean anything to them, but you're the doctor and they're going to take your word for it. Absolutely. Being a cancer patient is hard enough. You shouldn't have to have a second degree in health language to understand what your doctor is telling you or what you're going through. Carly Flumer, thank you so much for sharing your story and thank you for taking the time to do it. It means a lot to our listeners and means a lot to the Journal of Health Design that you have reached out to us and want to share your experiences. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed my time. Thank you. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.